question is, would you let your child play in the adventure playground at the place called The Land? Huh? Yeah, I'd, I would be fun to go to just to hear him talk, right? You know, because I'm from Oklahoma and Okies don't have accents, right? Adventure playgrounds. Uh, so, I mean, they're like all over the UK. They started uh, after World War II, late 1940s. Uh, they were a concept um, from a um, landscape architect and a fierce child advocate, a woman whose name was Lady uh, Marjorie Allen, who saw playgrounds that she called, you know, just asphalt squares and uh, absolutely dull and dreary and boring. And so in her mind, she envisioned a place where, as the documentary tells you, uh, full of risky play, risky play, a place where children uh, could go and develop in community, uh, courage and confidence and self-assurance. And it was strategic in that time in the UK, having just followed World War II, the UK wanted their children to be prepared, be willing to have courage and take risks should they ever be invaded again. It's really kind of an interesting um, story behind the proliferation of these adventure playgrounds. And there's not too many in the United States. Not too many at all. Which brings me to this question. Would you let your child play in a place like the adventure playground? Uh, the, the, The answer to that question and the very documentary itself touches on uh, really what has been a spirited debate on the issue of parental anxiety, parental anxiety and confident parenting. And that's where we are today in our series. If you're uh, here for the first time at Windsor Road, we're so happy to have you here. My name is Randy. I'm privileged to be the lead minister of the church. And, and we're in a teaching series uh, on the family called The Family on Purpose. And this morning, I want us to consider, I want us to consider the problem of parental anxiety, the problem of parental anxiety, and the peacefulness of confident parenting. That's where we're going to be going today. So, uh, so let's talk first about this issue of parental anxiety. Now, I want to define it. I want to put a handle on it. And then I want to talk about some, um, some uh, unfortunate outcomes that can occur because of parental anxiety. And then we're going to look at a beautiful psalm. That will, that will instill us with a trust for our sovereign God as we consider the peacefulness of confident parenting. parenting. The problem of parental anxiety, the peacefulness of confident parenting. So let's talk about an- the anxiety first. Uh, what do we mean when we're talking about parental anxiety? Well, here's what we don't mean. Here's what we don't mean. Here's what we're not talking about. 
We're not ta- when we talk about parental anxiety, we're not talking about making sure that the electrical outlets are covered. Not talking about that. We're not talking about making sure that the gate to the swimming pool is locked. We're not talking about making sure that you grab the hand of your four-year-old as you cross prospect. We're not talking about checking to see that the iron is off and out of reach. We're not talking about child-proofing the cabinets under the kitchen sink either. That's not, that's not what's on the table when we're talking about uh, the problem of parental anxiety. When we talk about the problem of parental anxiety, what we're talking about is this, an obsessive anxiety about our child's well-being. An obsessive anxiety about our child's emotional temperature. An obsessive anxiety about their future, about their college plans, about where where they're going to work and what they're going to do. An obsessive anxiety about the grades that you, as a parent, want for them. And then based on that obsessive anxiety, the parent places unrealistic and unhealthy expectations on themselves. I'm talking about the parent to fix it. That's what we're talking about, all right? And in my research for this message, I found uh, several unhealthy outcomes to obsessive parental anxiety, and I want to mention four, and the first is this, exhaustion from overscheduling. Exhaustion from overscheduling. The first unhealthy outcome from parental anxiety is exhaustion from overscheduling. In her book, um, All Joy and No Fun, Jennifer Sr. writes about parenting, and she recalls a conversation that she had with a parent about her three sons' summer schedule. And this is how the conversation went. Well, Eddie's going to do two sports this summer, and he's going to have stuff during the day, swimming five days a week for five weeks. And he'll have an art class too, but they're with his older brother, so I only have one drop-off. But then he'll have t-ball and soccer, which are going to be a different schedule than Henry, who is on a traveling soccer and rec league baseball. And then there's Ian, who's just in rec league baseball. And then they both have tutoring and reading, and Henry does piano and cello. He does cello at school and does private piano lessons. He's weighing which one because it's the financial thing, unless we win the lottery. He wants to do both because this is his niche and Ian loves violin that's at school but I have to be at his lesson because it's Suzuki I almost did that in one breath I mean I was exhausted reading that and yet and yet uh, that can be a pretty standard schedule uh, if the parents buy into the concept of concerted cultivation concerted cultivation Now, it just may be that Eddie and Henry and Ian are wizards at multitasking, but on the other hand, it just may be that mom and dad have them overscheduled because mom and dad sees what everybody else is doing and they just want to play along. See, we have to keep up. We have to keep up. Really? Why? Well, so that they'll go to the right school and have the right job and be in the right social circles. Add to the mix... An Ivy League admissions director who once made a group of Boston parents gasp when he said that if they want their child at his elite university, they'd better start beefing up their academic resume in the fifth grade. Oh my. 
Uh, It seems that parents who buy into that need to read another book. Uh, I've not read it. It just came out, but I like the title. I think once you read the title, you'll get the gist of the book. The title of the book is, Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be. Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be. Exhaustion from overscheduling. I mean, it's an unhealthy outcome to parental anxiety. And there's another unhealthy outcome. Uh, it's, um, it's simply what I call the overprotected child. The overprotected child. That's the title of an article that journalist Hannah Rosen uh, authored, which included this documentary on adventure playgrounds. And what makes this relevant is that, um, so this documentary was shown to a group of American parents, and when they saw the Adventure Playground documentary, one parent was overheard to have said, well, this is insane. As if to say, well, I've never let my child do that. It's just too risky. You see the anxiety here? You feel that? The anxiety, if that the child is not being constantly monitored, the assumption is that the child is in grave danger. And then the assumption then is that that's a failure to parent. And that's really becoming an issue in our culture. For example, in Austin, Texas, a mother and an accomplished children's author was investigated for neglect after her children walked the dog one day in August and the six-year-old lagged behind playing on an outdoor bench just a few houses down. She was investigated. Uh, In Florida, a 37-year-old mother was arrested, arrested by three police officers when she let her 7-year-old with a cell phone play at a park down the house in the same town where mom grew up. And get this, in Oklahoma, two working parents had a fifth grader with mononucleosis that required that child to be out of school three and a half months. After two weeks in the hospital, they kept him at home alone while they went to work. They called every day, twice a day, morning and afternoon, and one of them came home for lunch daily. This went on for three and a half months. Now, no one reported those parents, but do you know what came of that child? He became the senior minister at Windsor Road Christian Church. No kidding. In his book, Crazy Busy, author and pastor Kevin DeYoung has a chapter that's subtitled, You Need to Stop Freaking Out About Your Kids. (laughs) I think he's right. This parental anxiety that we feel produces the unhealthy outcomes of of overscheduling and overprotecting, and then there's a third unhealthy outcome. And I simply call it Discomfort with discomfort. Discomfort with discomfort. And, you know, our children need to experience discomfort. And if they don't, uh, they will develop, or they won't develop, rather, what, uh, what has been called psychological immunity. So in the same way that your physical body has to be exposed to pathogens so that it will know how to attack them, our children need to be exposed to discomfort and fatigue and struggle. They, and they need to feel the blessing of the skinned knee. One 
child psychologist put it this way. I know of parents who call up the school to complain if their kid doesn't get to be in the school play or make the cut for the baseball team or parents of one kid who said that he didn't like another kid in the carpool. So instead of having their child learn to work it out, even to the point of tolerating the other child, they just offer to drive him to school themselves. Well, by the time they're teenagers, they have no experience with hardship. The author says, civilization is about adapting to less than perfect situations. And yet parents often have this instantaneous reaction to unpleasantness, which then leads to, I can fix this. And college deans have reported receiving growing numbers of incoming freshmen whom they've dubbed as teacups. Because they're so fragile that they break down anytime things don't go their way. It's an unfortunate outcome of parental anxiety over scheduling, over protecting, discomfort with discomfort. And, and then there's a last outcome that I want to mention. And it's simply guilt. <laughs> Unnecessary parental guilt from second-guessing ourselves. And I mentioned earlier Kevin DeYoung's book, Crazy Busy. I would also recommend to you another book by author Leslie Fields. It's called Parenting is Your Highest Calling and Eight Other Myths That Trap Us in Worry and Guilt. And Leslie Fields talks about these feelings of guilt and second-guessing concerning an incident in her seven-year-old son's uh, Noah, his life. She tells about a time when her seven-year-old son Noah went to the store with his dad to buy a little gift for his sister. It's going to be her birthday, and Noah wanted to spend his own money. So he goes to the store, and he eyes this set of colored erasers. Well, Noah only had $2. Dad looks at the price tag. It's $3, Noah. Do you have $3? Noah says, nope, I only got two. Leslie Fields says, Noah stood for a moment, fingering his money. And then suddenly, he stuffed the money back into his pocket, and he began wiggling a loose tooth. His mouth... (laughs) His mouth cranked open, his eyes focused in on concentration, and in less than a minute, he held the tooth in hand, bloody at one end, and extended it without a word to his father. (laughs) His astonished father, who was also the family tooth fairy, took the tooth, took the tooth, fished out the last needed dollar from his own pocket, and the purchase was made. So they get home with Noah's tooth in tow. And Leslie hears about this and she roars with laughter. But then she panics and starts second-guessing the whole scene. Wait, my seven-year-old is selling body parts. And and his father is buying them. What have we done? Maybe we're working him too hard. Maybe we've overdone the finish what you start shtick. I mean, maybe, maybe we're just trying to grow him up too fast. Do you hear that? 
that the problem of, with parental anxiety is that we second-guess ourselves and, 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 and we worry that every decision will put our children on an irreversible course to heaven or hell. And here's the deal. And, and here's the deal. Parents make their work more difficult than it has to be because they overestimate how much depends on them for the future well-being of their children. Parents make their work more difficult than it has to be because they overestimate how much depends on them for the future well-being of their children. Four really unhealthy outcomes from parental anxiety. We need to quit asking, am I parenting successfully? And we need to start asking, am I parenting faithfully? That's the question. Well, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, it looks like Psalm 131. Psalm 131. I told you we were going to get to the Bible. So let's go there. You find Psalm 131 on page 519 of your church Bibles. And this psalm is really the key to the peacefulness of confident parenting. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. Someone has said that this is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the hardest psalms to live. And Psalm 131 is a part of a collection called the Psalms of Ascent. It's uh, one of a series of songs sung by God's people when they made their way to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Jerusalem was a city set on a hill so that any approach would be an ascent. And therefore, it's a psalm of ascent three times a year. Uh, faithful Hebrew families would sing these psalms on their pilgrimage to the temple. And the family would sing this. And the children would join in these songs led by their parents. And in Psalm 131, in verse 1, the psalmist is saying, Look, there are things I just cannot control. So I'm going to approach God in humility. I'm going to approach Him Modestly, my heart is not lifted up and my eyes are not raised too high. Meaning, I'm going to come to God humbly, respectfully. I don't have all the answers. 
I need help. I have limits. There are things too great and too marvelous for me to consider. I really wonder what was going on in the minds of some of the Hebrew fathers and mothers as they made their trek to the holy city. You know, they get to this psalm, and while they're going through the lyrics, they're thinking, you know, I don't know why my child is so challenged. I don't know why this season of life is such a struggle. I just don't understand. I wish I knew. And then one year would come, and the child would be of age, and the parent would say, are you coming to Jerusalem with us? And then they hear, no, not this time. What? What do you mean, not this time? Surely that scenario took place. And the parent is tempted to self-doubt and angst and massive doses of parental anxiety. What have we done? Where did we go wrong? We tried to teach them. We sent them to Hebrew school. Didn't we do our best? God, how could you? The psalmist declares, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'll not have high and proud eyes that look down on others if my children do follow God. And I am willing to live with mystery if they choose not to follow God. And I will remember, I will remember that we journey to the temple every year, three times a year, And just because they choose not to follow God for a season does not define them or me forever. So I will strive for peace with what I neither prefer or fathom. I will strive for peace. Strive for peace. How paradoxical. And what does that peace look like? Verse 2. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. What a picture. What a word picture. By the way, how's your soul today? What's the condition of your soul? Is it fussy? Is it colicky? Is it turbulent? Do you even know? Can you tell? Some of our children are suffering from secondhand stress. You know, by racing and chasing and trying to do so much for them, could it be that we're actually making our kids less happy? Wouldn't it be better for us and for our children if we just planned fewer outings and scheduled fewer activities and took more breaks from and for the kids? all in an effort to make parental sanity a higher priority. How is your soul today? How is your soul? Is it weaned? Is it weaned? What what does that look like? What's the the process of a weaned soul? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's not pretty. It can be stormy. It can be noisy. You know, the baby is denied its comfort. The baby flies into rages or sinks into sulks. There are sobs and struggles. The the infant is facing its first great sorrow and it is in distress. But to the weaned child, his mother is his comfort, even though she has denied him comfort. And that's what God is doing. To you, the parent, like a weaned child with its mother. Not talking about your child, it's talking about you. 
the parent. Don't you see? God is just as concerned with your growth while you parent as he is your child's growth while being parented. You're being weaned. The apron strings are being cut, which means you are free to come to God or not to come to Him. You are, in a sense, on your own with an open invitation to listen and receive and enjoy the Lord. And now, on the other side of the weaning, as a weaned child, I can tell others, verse 3, O Israel, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Now I can tell others. Now I can tell my family. Now I can tell my children. I can tell them, look, you can trust God. You can trust God. Even when everything is on the line, God can still be trusted. David is saying this. He is the, he is the, the king over his country. He is the spiritual parent over the children of Israel. And he's saying You can trust God. So instead of freaking out over all the things you can't do to control the outcome that you'd like for your children, where you'd like them to study, and what you'd like them to do, would you be willing, mom and dad, to still your soul and let your child witness your stilled soul, inviting them to trust Him when all reason seems otherwise. Listen, listen. What struggle have you faced that now that you've faced it and are through it, you look back glad you did because it forced you to trust God? What is that? What is that in your life? God put you in a situation where you, have, where you were grieved by various trials, as the Apostle Peter says, And why? So that the genuineness of your faith might be tested. A faith more precious than gold that perishes even though tested by fire. So that that faith may found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God did that to you. God did that. And he did that so that in the end, somehow, somewhere, some way. Praise and glory and honor would result even though you weren't even sure that you would get through it. But you did because of him. Do you have that in your mind? You get that now. Now, why would you keep your child from that? Why would you deprive your child from the very thing that grew you hear what this psalm says? It's, it's what I want you to hear if you don't hear anything else. It's simply this. We are not sovereign over our children, but God is. We are not sovereign over our children, but God is. Some of you have asked me questions over the years like, well, Randy, you, you know, do you think that your sons might follow their father in the ministry? And, you know, when they were still in high school or just going into college, I thought, well, I, you know, I don't know. That's really between them and the Lord. And, and you know, when 
my older son, Benjamin, was enrolled at the U of I, chose not to go into the vocation of ministry. It never really came up. I mean, you know, I didn't push it, and I wasn't disappointed by it. I mean, I wanted him to be on the path that God wanted him. I'll tell you, honestly, (laughs) part of me was kind of glad that he didn't, you know, really, really. Um, and, and, And here's why, you know, I mean, I love the calling that God has given me. And it is, an, it, is, it is a privilege, a privilege to be a minister and to be the minister at this church family. I mean, it really is. Um, you know, that said, I have found that some of God's sheep are really cantankerous. <laughs> Did I say that nicely? You know? I mean, um, in, in October of 1992, we had a, an awful, awful congregational meeting. I mean, it was, I mean, you'd have thought that we were in the adventure playground. I mean, there was mud, and it was just, ah, oh, you know? And I was thinking, I just, God, I, please, I mean, I do not want either of my sons to have to ever experience something that ugly, uh, you know, I, Lord, I would just like for you to send, you know, Ben into a much safer vocation. Yeah. I know. That's really what I prayed. And so, of course, God said, okay. And he sent him into the very safe vocation of law enforcement. Right? I mean, you know. <laughs> Listen to me. God will have his way with your child. Because you are not sovereign over your child. He is. And the moment we receive these precious gifts, the moment we need to remember that we are temporary custodians, we are trustees with us for a short time. And God is going to use the high points of our parenting And he's going to use the not-so-high points of our parenting. He's going to use both to shape his children. Because they're not yours. And they're not mine. They're his. They're his. And there is only one perfect parent, our Heavenly Father, who gives and gives and gives. And he gave his only son so that he who did what we could never do would die for us and live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. So that not only in his death, oh no, let's not stop at the cross because the gospel isn't merely the cross. The gospel is that through the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, God gives to us, by grace through faith, what we could never, ever attain on our own. And so there's no reason for us to either be high-eyed or low-eyed with guilt. We can look God in the face, depending on Him, because we're not sovereign Church family, you're not sovereign over your child. 
but God is. Amen? And so, Lord, we trust you. And we lean on you. And we depend upon you. And we will find our peace in your sovereignty. So wean us so that we might grow. Grow to be the mature followers that you've called us to be. Grow to be a mature community that looks to you, loves you, adores you, worships you casts all our anxiety on you because we believe without doubt that you care for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.